I have a, a new app here, so hopefully I'm going to get it right. Uh, let's turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2. And this week we're going to close this uh, passage. And we are still talking about um, that the name of Jesus is the name that is above every name. Or uh, that phrase that uh, Paul said in verse 10 in Philippians 2.10, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? All right, uh, I made a mistake. I told you to open your Bibles and your notes, so let's uh, cancel that. And let's try to see if you have memorized this passage. If you have done it by now, you only have today as your last chance. If not, then I will never know if you actually got it or not. Amen? So let's, let's try to figure this out together. Um, so this is what Paul said. I think it's verse 5. He said, um, walk humbly or do things with humility. And then he said, put others' interest, as much as you know, try to say it with me. Put others' interest above your own personal interest. And then he said, have that mindset, that attitude of putting other interests before yourself. Exactly. That was in Christ Jesus. How? Jesus, who was in the very nature God, did not want to hold onto equality with God for his own personal advantage, but poured himself out. He made himself nothing. How? Three things. Number one, taking the form of a bond servant. Number two, being found in the... Being, being found in the likeness of man and being made in the appearance of man, what did he do? He humbled himself even more to what point? To the point of death, even death on the cross. What is the result of that? So God highly exalted him. Amen? Exalted him to the highest place. And not only that, and not only that but gave him the name that is above every name. What does that mean? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every single tongue shall confess. What is the confession? Jesus Christ is Lord. And what is the goal? To the glory of God the Father. Amen? All right. So today we're going to close that uh, passage. We're still talking about the power that is in the name of Jesus. We spent three weeks talking about salvation in the name of Jesus, and today is our fifth week just discussing that passage, how the name of Jesus is the name that is above every name. Amen? Amen. I think we have at least three more weeks to go. It might be more, but I know for sure probably we're going to have three more weeks to go talking about the power that is in the name of Jesus. So uh, just to recap here so we can uh, wrap it up, um, Paul was talking about verse 6 and 8, how Christ humbled himself, right? And then in verses 19 and 11, he's talking about how God has exalted him. Amen? Just a couple of points. We said that when Jesus willingly is the person who humbled himself, that's the, two weeks ago, but God the Father is the one who exalted him, right? We say that Jesus came down gradually, right? But God the Father has exalted him up all the way up suddenly to the highest places of all, right? Last week, we spoke about how God has exalted him to the highest place. And we said that the word highest place is actually the Greek word was only mentioned in the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament only once in reference to one person. And that is God, right? When it says, you, you God are above all God, it's the exact same, 
exact same Greek word. You're in the highest place. And then we say that God has bestowed, and we say that this means God has graciously, it has the act of gracious, grace here, has graciously given Jesus the name that is above every name, and we say that is the name of Jesus, right? That is the name that is above every name. Why do we know that this is Jesus? Because right after that, Paul said, so that at the name of which one? Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Amen? So let's dig deeper into that and see how is it that the name of Jesus is the name that is above every name. That's the explanation that Paul has given us in verse 10 and 11. Okay? So these two verses serve as uh, explanation of what does it mean that Jesus has the name that is above every name. And that's why verse 10 starts with what? So that. Okay, so now he's explaining to us what is it means that Jesus has the name that is above every name. And this is what he said. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Let's just take that two verses phrase by phrase or word by word and just try to break it down start with so that at the name of jesus most most english translations had the translation at the name of jesus every knee shall bow but the greek actually is in the name of jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess right for those of you who weren't here first week we start talking about that passage we say that some look at this and say wait a minute if we are to, every knee shall bow in the name of Jesus, not to the name of Jesus, then maybe Jesus is not the subject of worship, right? Maybe he's just the vehicle, the mean through which we're going to worship God, right? So when they say, the Greeks say, in the name of Jesus, they say, oh, oh, it doesn't mean that Jesus is God because it says that it's through him. It's in his name. It's the mean through which we're going to worship God, right? And if you remember, we said uh, four, five weeks ago or six weeks ago that that doesn't even make any sense. Correct, that is grammatically a little bit uh, weird, you know, that it says in, not to. But, 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 in the very second phrase, it says that every tongue shall confess. What is the confession? Jesus is Lord. And we say that because Jesus is the subject of the confession, therefore he must also be the subject of the bowing of the knee. Amen? You cannot separate it. You cannot see we're going to worship God through Jesus, but the confession is going to be to Jesus, right? It's one context. You have to treat it all as one package. You have to understand it all as one thing. Amen? So even though the Greeks say in the name of Jesus, yet the meaning is still the same. That Jesus is the subject, the exalted Christ is the subject of every knee that is going to bow down and worship him. Amen? We have a couple of examples in the Old Testament to that. What does it mean to do something in the name of? For example, Psalm 44, 8. It says, we will give thanks to thy name. But the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, again has it, we shall give thanks in thy name. So when they translated the Hebrew to Greek, before even the New Testament, they used in your name. So the idea is, 
we're going to give thanks to you. But they said in your name as a equivalent phrase to we're going to give thanks to you. Amen? So in the same way, we every knee shall bow in the name of Jesus. That means every knee shall bow to Jesus. Amen? He is the subject of worship. Another example, Psalm 63, 4. The Septuagint, again, the Greek translation says, I will lift up my hand in thy name. It literally means I will lift my hand in adoration, in worship, in exaltation to your name, right? But the Greek has it as in your name. So that's precisely what Paul had in mind here when he said that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess in the name of Jesus. That Jesus, the exalted Christ, is the subject of worship of every knee and he is the subject of confession of every tongue. Amen? Amen? Okay, so Jesus, see how low he went all the way to the cross, but the result of that is God has lifted him up all the way up that he will be the subject of worship and the subject of confession to every living being ever whatsoever. And that's why it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And that is, that phrase, is a quote from Isaiah 45:23. We talked briefly about that when we start studying this passage. In Isaiah 45:23, that's Jehovah, the Lord, Yahweh, is speaking. And he's saying, by myself, I have sworn. My mouth has uttered it in all integrity. A word that will not be revoked. I mean, God cannot be more assuring than that, right? <laughs> what does he say? Before... My son. Does he say my son? He says who? Before me. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess or swear. Paul used that exact same scripture in the Old Testament in reference to God the Father. He said that in Romans 14, 10 and 11. He said, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we with Uh, We will all stand before God's judgment seat. Now he's talking about God, right? God's judgment seat, as it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will acknowledge God, right? So that's how Paul quoted that verse in Romans. And he said that this scripture in Isaiah is a clear reference to God, right? Right? But the same Paul had no problem quoting that exact scripture and apply it here to Christ in Philippians chapter 2. Amen? Talking about Jesus being God. Amen? Paul had no problem with that. Even in Romans, we quoted that a couple of weeks ago. Romans um, 13.10. When Joel said that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul had no problem quoting that scripture in Romans and saying, ah, oh, actually, that Lord is Jesus, right? Whoever call upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. So Paul had no problem quoting the Old Testament and applying that to Christ. Amen? But notice how it says, not that every knee has bowed or is bowing, but every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, right? So is Paul talking about a, a future event or a present or a past event? A future event, right? It's talking about something going to happen in the future. When? Actually, he just told us in Romans 14, 10 and 11. Let's go back and read that. He said, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So in the context, when we are all standing before God's judgment seat, what's going to happen? 
Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen? So that context was is reserved for a future event that will happen on the day of judgment when every single living soul, living being, is going to stand before Christ for judgment. Amen? Now, he said, who's going to bow the knee and who's going to confess? Three, three different groups, correct. Three different categories of beings. Those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and those who are under the earth. Who are the ones who are in heaven? Angels, all the angelic beings are in heaven, right? Who are on earth? Human Human beings. All of us are on earth, right? And who's under the earth? Demons. You know, the devils. There's multiple scriptures for that. Let me just quote one. 2 Peter 2, 4. For God did not spare angels when when they did sin, but cast them into hell. The word hell here is like Sheol, like Hades. And... If actually we go back to the Old Testament in the Apocrypha, which is not even inspired by God, they give us a very vivid description of of hell and Hades and how it looked like. And the Jews definitely believe that it is in in, in the belly of the earth. It's like way down there. And even though it's not inspired by God, yet it gives us an idea of what the Jewish in the first century or the second century or during the time of the birth of Christ thought about hell, right? So they believe that hell or Sheol or Hades is in the very bottom, very belly of the earth. It's down there and that all the demonic angels who God has already judged, they are there in the under the earth. Amen? But Paul said this, that every knee of those who are on heaven every angel and every human race and every demon in hell will bow the knee to jesus one day and every single tongue will confess that he is lord amen now notice this obviously angels would do it very willingly right because they already worship him they have no problem with it right do you think demons will do it willingly but they're gonna do it anyway amen how about those who are on earth well some gonna do it willingly And some will do it forcefully. Amen. Like we the redeemed, we know that we're going to do it gladly, right? We're going to confess him, Lord, with joy in our heart. Amen. But how about the Muslims who you go out and try to witness to them and they just brush the gospel away and say the gospel, the the Bible is corrupt. What's going to happen to them? They're going to bow the knee to Jesus one day. Amen. Amen. How about the Hindus and the Buddhists and the atheists and the people who hear the gospel and they just brush it off as some sort of fairy tale that can never be happened. And we definitely wrong and they erringly, well, pridefully refuse the gospel. What's going to happen to them? They're going to bow the knee just like you and I. Amen. The only difference is we're going to do it gladly and they're going to do it forcefully. Amen. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And what is that confession? Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the master of everything. Now, Jesus Christ is Lord. The word Lord here in Greek, kurios, which is like Yahweh, is actually in Hebrew. It's a name, one of the names of God. His name is Lord. For example, I'll give you that uh, example in Isaiah 42.8, this is God saying, Yahweh asserted, I am the Lord. That is my name. This is my name. And he says my name, that means nobody else has that name. Amen. I am the Lord and nobody else is Lord. Amen. Amen. But then it says here that 
God has bestowed on Christ. He has given him that very thing, that very unique characteristic that only God the Father has. Amen? Well, let me back off. I personally think that the person who's speaking here in Isaiah is actually Jesus, not the Father. Uh, that's just me. But anyways, the, Paul is telling us here that God the Father has bestowed on Christ the very rare characteristics that set God the Father apart from anybody else. Amen? That instead of ultimately every day would bow to God the Father and every tongue will confess God the Father, God has no problem that happened to his son, Jesus. Amen? As an act of grace because of what Jesus has done when he came down to earth. Now, in fairness, I was just reading about this. I don't know what that means. Some say that Lord here is more the functional, the function that Christ will assume because he humbled himself as the God-man and then God exalted him to assume that role. So it's more of a functional. Some, I don't know what it means, to be honest with you. I don't know if it means a function or if it means uh, if it means an office or if it means a title or that's who he's going to be. I don't know, but I don't care. Amen. Jesus is Lord. Whatever that means, he is Lord. Amen. He's definitely going to assume the function of master, but he's also going to be our Lord. Amen. And what is the ultimate goal of all of this? To the glory of God the Father. This passage is very heavy on theology as far as the relationship, again, between the Father and Christ the Son. We even spent the whole week just talking about that, the first week, because it's just so heavy. And it's just, it's, it's hard to explain, really, from that passage, or even from all over the scripture, how does that work? You know, like... Jesus will assume the very function that actually belongs to God the Father when every knee will bow to him and every tongue will confess him. Yet somehow that doesn't end up glorifying Christ but glorifying the Father, right? It's, it's a little bit mind-blowing. You can't even make sense out of it. Here is, here is I was thinking about this yesterday. I, I mentioned that to you guys before, but I spent like two and a half years when I was in the seminary studying about the deity of Christ and... I put the paper on our website. You can look it up if you want to. 350 pages. Not fun reading, but it's good. Anyways, here is what I realized after spending two and a half years just studying that. What I'm going to tell you right now is actually uh, I believe what the Bible says, but it will not make any sense. So I'm not going to ask you to try to make sense out of it, but just make sure you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> okay? So here is what the Bible tells us as far as Jesus and, 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 and the Father. Jesus has, the Son has, the unique characteristics that sets the Father apart from every other being ever existed. Okay? Let's say that again. Say it with me if you can. The Son has the unique characteristics that sets the Father apart from every other being. This is an oxymoron statement, right? Because if the Son and the Father share it, then it's not unique anymore, right? But this is actually what the Bible tells us. Somehow it works this way. That... Jesus shares the very characters, the very things that makes God, God, okay? But in the same time, the Father is the, still the only God. Somehow it works this way, okay? I mean, look at this passage that we're reading right now. The Father giving Christ the Son the exact same honor that due only to Him. Every knee would bow to Jesus. Every tongue would confess Jesus. But somehow, throughout the whole thing, God is still God and Jesus is still the Son of God. Amen? 
You guys follow me? I'm not asking you to make sense out of it. It doesn't even make sense saying it. But this is what the Bible tells us. Amen? Jesus is God in his nature in as much as God the Father is God in his nature. Amen? Do you see that? It's like... Exactly. He existed in the form of God even before he came down and he was equal to God. They didn't want to hold on to it. He came down. But through the whole process, Jesus is still equally God in his nature, in his essence. But somehow the Father is still the only God in the same talking. Somehow it works this way. I don't explain it, but that's what the Bible tells us in a way. Amen? But Jesus, every knee will bow to him and every tongue shall confess him. Amen? This is how exalted and how high the Father will lift him up. He will bestow on him the rarest of all honors that to him will belong the same exact honors that he, that actually does belong to God the Father. Amen? Amen. All right, it's difficult to explain. We just have to receive it the way it is. Amen? I mean, we don't need to, we need to reason if the Bible actually tells us that or not. But if the Bible tells us to us, we can't explain it. We have to accept it by faith. Does that make sense? So it's not a dumb faith, but we need to accept it by faith because there's no other way you can accept it. Amen? Now, let me just cl- close with that thought. I was just thinking about that. I want to talk to you about the futility of, of rejecting the gospel just from that passage. Like, when you go out and you try to tell people about Jesus and ask them to, in a way, surrender the lordship of their lives to, to Christ because they think, hey, I can reach out to God on my own. I am my own man. I can do things my way. I'll do good works enough to earn God's approval. And I'm going to get to heaven based on my own merits. It's, a whole, it's all about I'm in control of myself. I'll do it my way, right? But the gospel is not about that. The gospel is about you can do it. All what you have to do is just say, I'm, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm willing to forsake all of that. Come to the cross. Accept what Jesus has done for you and have him to be Lord over your life. Amen? Amen. What does that mean? That means you come to the point to say, you know what? Like if you're a guy, for example, or whatever, and you say you're, you're a sinner. You're living apart from Christ. You're using your eye because it's your own eye. You're not, you don't know Christ. And you're using your own eye to look at porn or do anything that is sinful. You use your hand to steal. Uh, well, it's your hand. You can do whatever you want. You use it to steal or do anything sinful. You come to the point that you say, you know what? This is not mine anymore. So my eyes from today forward, this is my commitment, is not mine anymore. It's going to be Jesus. So I cannot take it to do whatever I want anymore. But Jesus can take it to do whatever he wants. He is Lord. I am not. Amen. My hands is not mine anymore. I cannot take it to steal or rob or do anything that I want. Because I'm surrendering my lordship over this hand to Jesus. Amen. And from today forward, Jesus will be Lord of my hand. He can use it to do whatever he wants, not what I want. Because I I am dead, and from now on, Christ will be Lord in my life. Amen? That is, in, in an essence, the commitment that every Christian is making when he says, I'm accepting Christ, i.e., I'm sur- surrendering my lordship over my life, over my future, over my body, and I'm giving it all to Jesus, so he is Lord, and he do whatever he wants. Amen? Some don't want to do that. Some think they're just uh, good enough to make it on their own, and they don't want to confess that Jesus is Lord, but one day they're going to bow the knee to him and then they're going to confess him Lord anyways, right? The only point is then in the day of judgment, it's going to be too late for them to actually have the grace of God. So why wait, right? 
What is the point of rejecting the gospel? You gotta bow the knee anyways. You gotta make him Lord anyways. Might as well do it when it's grace and love and mercy instead of judgment and wrath. Amen. Jesus has the name that is above every name. Amen. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Amen. The whole point of the song that, that Paul shared with us in Philippians chapter 2 is this. The one who came way low, God has exalted him way high. That he has given him the name that is above every name and that is the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't we come together and worship him right now? Amen. Let's confess him, Lord.